Because no one's hair moves that way. No one has tiny ninjas to do it for them. <laughs> you know. Tiny ninjas. Hello and welcome to this week's Grape Culture Podcast, the podcast where three women drink wine and discuss feminist literature and issues. I am Sam. I'm Kim. And I'm Alex. And we hope you enjoy the episode. On this week's episode, we are talking about the book Me, My Hair and I, which is by Elizabeth Benedict. And it's a collection of essays from 27 women, all on their experiences with their own hair and how hair has kind of impacted their lives, their cultures, their heritage and that kind of thing. But before we get on to the book, can we talk a little bit about this fancy wine we Ooh, have, Kim? fancy. The fancy schmancy bottle of wine. Fancy schmancy, as it says in our next. This is a reoccurring theme, of fancy schmancy. Fancy schmancy. Well, you know, we are trying to um, push our boundaries and try different wines, not just your average Sainsbury's Blanc. Not just Blossom so, Hill. Not just Blossom, never Blossom Hill. Never Blossom So this week's wine, um, I went round to our local wine shop wolf wine as i think we've mentioned before um i'd spotted this bottle a little while ago actually and was really really excited to try it you can see pictures of it on our instagram the reason that i chose it is because it has a picture of a woman with a very long braid of hair on mm. the front beautiful hair a beautiful hair so it's called um mixtura rosa and it is from the grefti vineyard well planned i think it's i think it's Luhe. I think the D might be silent. D-L-U-H-E. Grefty. It's from the Czech Republic. Um, it is another fantastic, natural, biodynamic wine. Um, Wolf Wine gave me some great little notes about it, but I'm also going to read a brief description that I found online about it. So it's a red wine, I think. Pretty sure. Clues in the name, Rosa. So it's it's naturally fermented, sort of. It kind of just does it on its own. They don't. They try to mess with it as little as possible, mm. and it is one of the few wines that is made from naturally uh, red juice producing grapes. Okay. So apparently there are only a few um, types of grape in the world that actually produce red red juice that aren't sort of made to be red wine later on in the process. Oh, I did not know. I that. didn't know that at do. all. Um, I think that's what I understood about it. Putting the culture in grape culture today. I know. Mm. Um, it will come out a little bit cloudy. It can be served slightly chilled on hot days, apparently, okay. even though it's a, it's a red then. wine. And um, the chap at Wolf Wine told me that he f- felt that it had tasting notes of grapefruit and cranberry juice. The little description that I have, which I'll just read. Mixtura Rosa is very special, peculiar wine, a blend of three red varieties, Andre, Naranet and Blau Frankish. Free, free <laughs> flow of juice from crushed grapes of Andre and Naranet was gathered to old wooden barrels where spontaneous fermentation happened and the wine matured for one year on lees. After that, a small amount of the juice of Blau Frankish was added and bottled under the crown top for a slow secondary fermentation. The gold did not turn the wine into petnat by full secondary fermentation, but rather kept a bit of residual sugar from juice and preserve and preserve the taste notes of Blau Frankish grapes berry tones which reveal its characteristic is the word I was trying to say there (laughs) I thought it was a word in Czech yeah I was like you're pronouncing the Czech words fine but characteristics no I was just I was reading like three words ahead of myself and I got tongue-tied characteristic acidity the wine is delicious in its youth apparently Hmm. how old is this one Good question. Don't know. Two thousand seventeen. Just old enough. Okay, that's, that's yeah. It's two years old. Reasonably two years old. Um, this amazing wine is very, very limited, which is true. Um, the guy at Wolf Wine said that only about thirty bottles have come in or 
I think he said 30, had actually come into the UK and he yeah. got most of them. It, wow. might been, it might have been 300. Um, but anyway, he got most of them. He had loads of them. Okay. So, yeah. So it's, it is available online if you are trying to track it down. Um, I'm really excited to try it. It's got a sort of beer bottle cap and it costed a cool £33. <gasps> what? Mm. It's oh very God. fancy. It's very fancy. Is that? I think that might be our most expensive year. This is our most expensive yes. wine that we've had, aside from possibly the Stan Lake Park in our first episode. But we don't but know we how much it was. So actually, I had a look online. It was not that expensive. Oh, good to know. It's about twenty pounds. Oh, it's a very light red. Mm. Maybe it's a, it's another biodynamic one though, and they it do is. seem yeah, to be quite seem like quite light, Ribena esque. <laughs> Cheers. 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 It's quite cloudy, isn't it? Yeah, so he said that you could leave it to sort of settle and serve it non-cloudy or strain it through like a, a wine aerator. Mm. Or if you wanted the full impact of the flavour, like in the interesting flavours, to leave it cl- to make it cloudy. So I thought that I would go for cloudy. Also, I don't have an aerator, so. That smell is unlike anything I think I've ever smelt before. No, it smells like um like cider. It smells like oh, farmy cider. It does a bit. Mm. And it actually tastes, it a, little tastes a little bit farmy cider. It tastes a little bit like Breton cider. Like French cider. Yeah. Or proper Somerset cider. Mm. Proper thick shit. It's the cloudiness. Mm. I like it. It's not a wine. It's not wine. <laughs> no. If that it, it makes be, sense. It might be made from grapes, but it does taste like grapefruit though. I can I can see that. It's not sharp. Yeah. Not that much grapefruit. It's gonna be really drinkable. Hmm, I'm not so convinced. Oh no, I'm, I I already feel like this is drinkable. <clears throat> I I honestly, it feels like you know the ciders that people have to go in the back and it's in a box, <laughs> or it's in an unlabeled bottle. Yes, yes. And they brewed it in their front room. Yeah, that's what it tastes like. Moonshine. Yeah. Moonshine wine. Angry cider. So, should we move on to talk a bit about the book? Yeah. Um, so, the book is Me, My Hair and I, 27 Women, Untangle and Obsession, edited by Elizabeth Benedict. It's, um, as Sam said earlier, it's a collection of essays about haircuts and women's obsession with their hair and what it means to their sort of personal identity. Um, first impressions of the book? Well, first impression, as in very, very first impression, I was impressed with the quality of the cover of the book. <laughs> um, it's, I don't know, it just felt like a really, it feels like a nice book. Do you know mm, what I mean? I yeah. Know that's completely irrelevant to the contents. No, but it's, it's not <laughs> always. such a like, oh, you go to see a play and you're like, the set was nice. No, I'm not saying that any, that, like, I enjoyed the book anyway, but when I picked it up, I was like, ooh, nice okay. book. It felt like um, a quality book. It felt like a quality book. And it's, the illustrations yeah. on the front are really cool. They are of um, eight women with different haircuts, different ethnicities um different hair colors different hair designs um and yeah i my first impression was that it would be a very quick read because yeah. all of the chapters were um you just kind of rushed through every essay didn't? Mm-hmm. not rushed through but it felt like you got through them very you fast got through them very quickly um i don't think that the the cover is irrelevant at all i think um from friends that i know in publishing of uh, a lot of work goes into a good cover and a cover can make or break um a book and there's a lot of psychology around that there's a lot of psychology about how they choose things for, co- for covers um and to have original illustrations would probably have involved commissioning a particular artist mm. a lot of the time if they didn't have an in-house illustrator that 
person light. Like, it requires quite a lot of work. Joan Wong is the illustrator. Well, there you go. Joan Wong, you did a great job. Um, and well I think that the, the illustrations on the front do reference essays in the book. So there was, hmm. in my opinion, there's probably quite a lot of back and forth around it. I agree that it's a really sort of good quality feeling book. Yeah. And I also agree what you said about how sort of quick it was to read. Did you have any other first impressions? No, I thought it was a really nice, easy read. Um, a nice little insight into 27 women's lives. Mm. Um, I also, I think when I first, it was Kim, you suggested it, didn't you? I did. Um, and when you did first suggest it, I was like, oh my, like a book about hair. And I was like, that's really bizarre. And actually, the more I thought about it, and then the more I read about it from reading these essays... I'm like, oh, it is really interesting that you can think of a hairstyle and it, it relates to a moment in your life um, or a moment in your life dictates a hairstyle. Mm-hmm. And that's really interesting. Well, yeah, that I mean, that was a lot of the decision behind it because I, I think that hair is a feminist issue. I think um, hair, like the book says, it is an obsession. I certainly have put a lot of stock into my hair. There's that old cliche, you know, you, you get dumped, you do something drastic when you, with your hair. You reach a certain age, you do something drastic with your hair. Yeah, yeah. and I think that I, I did want to approach it because I think that the way that we talk about hair in our culture, like, there's a lot of debate about celebrity hair, for example, and it's 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 a massive, massive industry, and it's a massive way that we are sold beauty standards mm-hmm. and sold a narrative and sold something to aspire to and how to shape our our being and a lot of our value and worth is put in our hair. And it first kind of occurred to me, I, I think it occurred to me really, really early on when we were when we were first planning the podcast in its sort of infancy. And then it kept coming back to me when we read Lita Nugent, when we read um, the Anne Chen Bad Girls Throughout History. There were so many moments when we talked about hair or characters with, or people beautiful with, with beautiful hair or complicated hair that then I stumbled upon this book and it just seemed like kismet a little bit. Mm. Um, Sam, did you have anything more to add there? Mm. Mm. Um, no, just that I think it was... Uh, this may be repeating what you've just said, sorry. I was just surprised by how much I hadn't considered the place of hair in culture and mm. society. And when you really think about it, yeah, it, it obviously has such a big impact or can be such a big part of it so yeah i was uh i thought it was going to be quite a superficial thing and it wasn't no so i think that's i don't know whether it means anything that i you guys both manage your own hair generally when you make your changes with dyes and things like that you've oh, dyed right. your I own was hair like, who am I, like do and you, you have a tiny person you in change your wardrobe? <laughs> no but you you change your hair more frequently i think than i do now mm. and you manage those changes on your own Whereas I spend quite a lot of time and money keeping my hair looking essentially the same. Mm. Um, And I wonder whether just because by virtue of the fact that I've spent a lot more sort of invested money and time and getting my hair done is is like an event every two months. Mm. That also involves, you know, going to see my family. So it's kind of associated with a a life event most of the time that maybe I thought have noticed that more and put a bit more weight into the subject originally but I don't know whether that's true or if I'm just talking shit I didn't mean to offend you do you have a hairdresser that you've always seen 
I have a long and complicated history with hair and uh, my hairdresser I have seen for the last five years, I think. Because that's what struck years. me about this book is that pretty much all of them could name a hairdresser and I would not be able to tell you one name of one hairdresser that I have visited. Yeah, now I go to the same hairdresser every single time and will not, like, would choose going to her over anything else pretty much until such time as that becomes ridiculously unfeasible but it is really interesting because i really begrudge going to the hairdressers spending money so i have recently been getting it cut which i never have done before i used to just let it grow long and have split ends galore um but then a botched uh job of dye uh, which we can go into more detail later, forced me to hack it all off into professional hairdressers. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I suppose it's, although it's on your head all the time, we should invest in it because it definitely represents us and I suppose uh, how you present yourself to the world. But I always begrudge spending money on it. I don't know why. <laughs> but then we'd spend £33 on a bottle of wine, which is ridiculous. Well, I mean... Gives Com- you different feelings. Common denominator yeah, there. but the feeling only lasted, like, one small moment. I don't know. I think... I get... what Like, I bulk sometimes at the amount that I spend on my hair. Especially considering that most of the time when I'm doing my hair. You know, they're great. Like... But I'm spending it on the colour. And the colour is important because I've just had so many nightmares with it. And the way that my hair feels changes my mood mm-hmm. entirely. Like yeah, that's true. A bad hair day really does affect like your day. And I've had some bad haircuts, like god awful. And so, finding someone who likes my, ha- you know, knows my hair. I like talking to her, which is a big part of getting a haircut. And under, you know, is willing to try new things, but also knows exactly what I want and how I want it to look. Is is worth its weight in gold, as far as I'm concerned. Also, the hair salon does have a chihuahua, so you know, <laughs> so you chihuahua chihuahua well. cuddles is great. You pay for the dog as well. Yeah. Did anyone have an essay that resonated with them quite a lot? I don't know if I had an essay that resonated with me because a lot of the hair journeys were very different to mine. I had some that I enjoyed more than others. I think some of them were definitely uh, kind of an auto biography of their life but then using hair as a structure for that Mm. um and then some were just a comment on hair so i quite enjoyed the diversity of that i didn't read them all because i was the lax one this week and just didn't have time who are you implying Um, is the lax one usually samantha i think you know alexandra (laughs) (laughs) it's certainly not type a goody t-shoes over here (laughs) Is that you? Yeah, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> you're not goody two shoes. No, you might be true. type A, but you're not goody two shoes. Goody one shoes. Um, so I, I will admit I did not read them all. I read um, just under half of the essays in this book so far. Um, and yeah, what, there wasn't. There were moments that resonated, but there was no one that was telling the story of my hair. And mm. I know that yeah. my hair is not everyone else's hair. That's not the point. But... Yeah, it didn't. There were, like I said, there were snippets of pretty much all of the essays that I could relate to, but no single one that I went, yes, this one. Mm. Mm. I felt the same way. I I underlined bits and tabbed bits, but I felt 
the entire time reading the book, I kept thinking all these women are 60s, 70s mm. now. Yeah, they and they're were writing like from that women, yeah, they? writing all from older women that in perspective. New York. Yeah. Even even though they were some of them writing about their younger selves, like they were writing about their younger selves in an era that I was not young. So they were writing about, you know, like the 60s and the 70s and the, mm. the different standards there and um, and all the crazy hairstyles. So they referenced like the bubble. Quite yeah. A lot and um, and then the 70s, like the hippie kind yeah, of. Yeah, they're like super long. Well, long you hair. said something about the ducktail, and I was like, I can't even picture what that looks I like. I had to in my Google head. it. Yeah, I think actually. the ducktail's like, it's that cartoon, isn't it? It's not Betty Boo, but there's a, there's another, there's a similar cartoon where she has like a little ding, a little back. slicked bit out the yeah. back. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, so I, I found it difficult to relate to most of them because they were writing from such a different perspective and they had lines that resonated with me, but yeah. no one essay that yeah. I found really appealed to me. I think there was only one that was talked a lot about England as well, which yes. normally that doesn't bother me, but I do think that in terms of hair trends, it probably yeah. is a factor. Did you find the um, essay, Alex, I did. So, um, the one that's slightly less about her life and more about, um, not necessarily the history of hair, because it talks about Greek mythology, and I'm sad that you didn't get this far, actually, Sam, because I think it would have been right up your street. Mm. Um, but it talks about, like, Medusa and... Which title was that? Uh, it's The Much Ado About Hairdos. Oh, no, I didn't read that, no. Um, it was one of the ones that I mentioned, but yeah, I, I know, didn't you, get yeah, that far. I know. Um, yeah. And kind of the sex, like the sexualization of women with hair in mythology, um, and, and it kind of stemming from that. And I just found that quite interesting as a, as a short read about yeah. almost the kind of the roots <laughs> of... Um, you know, fertility and femininity and, yeah. and things like yeah. that. Yeah. So, and actually that was quite, as much as usually I'm, I think if all of them had been something like that, it would have been like really quite dense. Yeah. But it was quite a breath of fresh air having this essay that wasn't just a snapshot of life. It was like, yeah, it was quite, more, it was a broader. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I enjoyed that one. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed that one. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I pulled it out as one that we might want to talk about specifically was because the format of it was quite different. Mm. Yeah. Um, which I quite enjoyed. We've all spoken about there being certain lines that we um, identified with, and I'm just trying to pick out from my briefly tabbed pages one that I think was appropriate. Um, I have a great one, which I think, Sam, you might also really relate to, which is, if I didn't fret about my hair, something else would come to take its place. (laughs) Yeah, that's so true. And I was like, yep, that's That's fair. sums it up. I also had... um, I think I'll probably talk about it later, so I'll skip that. Okay. Um, yeah, one that made me laugh was uh, it was from the essay um, Cosmic Hippie Hair Breakdown Blues by Rosie Sharp. Sharp? Mm-hmm. Sharp? Um, for, apologies, I'm not sure of the pronunciation. Um, but she in this, she talks about um, wanting to have long hippie hair and, and not quite having the, um, like, genetically, the hair that she had did grow. not lend itself yeah. to that. Um and she talks about getting her first great haircut, which she did herself. This is the quote that I was yeah. just about to say. <laughs> and then I decided not to. <laughs> um, it was, um, she says, by accident, I'd created a shape that framed my face just right. 
I never got more compliments on my hair. But that cut could never be duplicated, not even by professionals. It was like the Brigadoon of haircuts, a supernatural occurrence that can only happen once in a lifetime. I feel like that about a certain haircuts I've had where I've looked back and I'm yeah. like, never again. I but absolutely... like, I don't know how to get back there. Yeah. I absolutely have that haircut and I underlined it for the same reason. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I know I'm going to end up talking about it because it's not only is the haircut that I I look on sometimes and I'm like, mm. oh, that was, that was a great haircut. But it's also every single time without fail i get my hair cut and bearing in mind i get my hair cut in the town where my parents live so i visit them and get my hair cut so i always always see them yeah it's fresh from a haircut my dad goes but it's not as good as that one cut that you had that one time mm. every shut is it up the same, dad is it the same hairdresser uh no this is the uh. problem so the hairdresser that i got from the brigadine haircut was uh she she moved away after a while and silly woman I mean, the thing is as well, it's got probably nothing to do with the haircut. It probably has quite a lot to do with the fact that I was 18 and a size 8 and, you know, like everything was great and beautiful and wonderful. Yeah, except it wasn't because you weren't happy. I was at that point though. Okay, right. Was it because of the hair or the other way around? Which came first, the happiness or the hair? Ooh. Ooh, good question. question. (laughs) Well, let's see, there was the the breakup. Hmm. And then there was the boy, and then there was the haircut. So like, somewhere in the middle. Hmm. Interesting. Happiness and hair. Yeah. I think anyway. It's like the age-old thing. Like I think we've spoken about it on a different podcast where you clip your hair up um, before you go in the shower, and yeah. you're like, "Oh yes, I look so hot. I'm it's stunning. tumbling. It's tumbling <laughs> in the right places. Like I just look like I'm just carefree and fancy." And then like you try and do it for work, and you just like. Yeah. look a little bit like I don't know, yeah. a librarian that has greasy hair excellent that, that's very niche it's okay. not even that niche um <laughs> so with that with what we're now getting on to talk about how do you feel about your hair and how do you feel about that it relates to your identity whether that's um as a feminist as a woman as a person what do you think thoughts guys <laughs> I thought this book came at an interesting time for me. I am sporting a shorter hair, shorter than I ever have done before in my life. It is your shortest of do's. It is, and it has been a a weird struggle for me. Um, It was this short at one point in my life before, and I got called a boy at school. Um, Classic, yeah. And it was the first time that it, it had gone as curly as when I was a really small child because I cut it and then it, everything just sprung and um yeah it got called a boy by the most popular girl at school I hid in a corner it also went really really dark when I cut it for some reason mm. it went like really really brown like dark brunette um and I just didn't feel happy with it at all mm. then I found straighteners and then the boys wanted to know me but anyway <laughs> that's another story um and so I am sporting my my shortest cut but I don't think that was necessarily out of choice it was because I went a bit I'm gonna be 30 soon and I want pink hair and then bleached it and then dyed it pink and then it all frazzled and died well I'm glad this disaster happened when it was fashionable to have reasonably cropped hair um but I will say that I probably feel the least feminine I have felt interesting mm-hmm. that's interesting hmm. I feel like do you I... feel like that's a bad thing I'm yet to decide. I'm okay. still getting used to it. 
I was very much used to, you know, we go on a night out, I wear my hair down and long, you flick it around, you feel you feel a little bit <laughs> You hit bit people sexy, in the face at the bar, yeah. You knock them out, they get a, like, haircut in their eye. Um, <laughs> you know, usual, their usual eye. Friday night. Um, but yeah, so I'm still getting used to it. Okay. For the record, I think it frames your face very nicely. Yes. Um, like Sam, what about you? What do you think about your hair and identity and feminist or otherwise i have i don't even have a love-hate relationship with my hair i have a hate-hate relationship with my hair um so i have quite thick hair not as thick as kim's Mm -hmm. but um i've inherited reasonably thick hair and i get bored really quickly and i (laughs) dye it a lot uh less so than i used to when i was a teenager and in my early 20s it was changing color every like eight weeks mm. um and last you know, the last year i was it was bright red then i changed then i bleached it and have and changed it to like an ombre gray which i'm now growing out and obviously that means that it has as with alex's um frazzled the mm. ends so there's a lot of split ends and it gives me something to do at my desk to sit and pick them off but um it means oh, my hair's not weirdly missing that uh, yeah just sat there like oh there's oh look how long that one is yeah. um something weirdly satisfying about it but it means that my hair while in quite good condition sort of up to the top of my ears is not so much the rest of it i should get it cut but i don't want to because i would rather have long messy hair than have short sleek hair because otherwise i look like a ball so i <laughs> i don't i don't like my hair and I don't like having short hair because I feel like my face is too round. <laughs> so yeah, I think that's why I struggle as well because I've got a round face. But it doesn't look. So you both. It does, hasn't made yours. No, grinning like the odd man turtle doesn't help, Alex. <laughs> I also really hurt my lips. Doing that. <laughs> so you both don't like having short hair. No. And you consider the hair that you, well, Alex, you consider the hair you have now short. Yes. And Sam, I... do you consider your hair currently short? No, I don't think so. I think it's mid-ish. Okay. Um, but I remember, because I was quite a tomboy when I was growing up, like, I was friends with the boys and we would play football and stuff. And I remember cutting my hair off um, or getting my sister to do it. I got my mum to do my oh, haircut no. once. That was the worst thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> um, but I got my sister to cut it into basically an ear-length bob. And I was really happy because... I had short hair and then I was like, yeah, proper tomboy. And now I'm like, would not cut my hair in a bob if you paid me. Because I look like a Lego man. I feel like we've got a complete (laughs) role reversal as well. Like, I was such a girly girl. Like, give me a tutu and some feathers. And I was like, in my element. No, no, I didn't have dolls. a sprinkle of glitter. Like, I absolutely loved it. And now I'm like, nah, I can't be arsed with all of that. And then your (laughs) daily wear is like beautifully feminine. And I'm like, nah. I feel like I have yeah but my hair is the last when I get ready in the morning my hair is the last thing I do and I do it in very little time and just because I have to mainly at the moment I'm like just put it in a bun it's a thing on your head rather than something that defines your identity like makeup first makeup is most important then clothes then fuck it get hair out of the way but when your hair when your hair is optimal do you feel better not really okay I it doesn't really have any impact on my day-to-day life, I don't think. Okay, that's interesting. I have a few things to unpick from this. Mm-hmm. Number one is that um, you both have sort of identified not wanting to have short hair. And Alex, mm-hmm. you said your hair, 
you consider your hair short. Your hair's probably about the same length as mine at the moment. Yeah, they're both. And this is my relative standard. For reference listeners, that's just below jaw length. Yeah, pretty much. Um, So, do you think, I mean, Alex, you said it, like, it makes you feel less feminine. And that's actually a line in one of the essays is, um, there's two. There's one about a woman whose daughter wants her hair cut short. She cuts her hair short and then gets quite a lot of grief from the other mums. And it was like, the the line is something like, um, was wanting my daughter to have long hair something that made me a bad feminist? Mm. Or I'm paraphrasing. And there's another line. All right, wanting my daughter to look like a girl made me feel not only like a bad mother, but also like a bad feminist. And there was another line which was feminine... Feminine was still a synonym for trivial. Hmm. The fact that you think short hair makes you feel less feminine, like, I just think is something I kind of want to put put a pin in and discuss. Yeah, I mean, I want to discuss it because I I literally don't know why that is. Yeah. Um, I think we could probably unpick it and have an inkling of why, but I hate that I do. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. And then to loop back around to sort of, you know, my my feelings about my hair, as it were, Hmm. I have jaw length to shoulder length hair depending on how long it is between my cuts and whatever i dye my hair um i used to be naturally blonde then it started to go brown and so i have highlights in my hair i consider my hair a big part of my identity as well like i i i'm quite lazy and so my hair is designed my whole cut has been designed to be lazy but in order for it to be lazy i do get it dyed every couple of months um, and that's really the main maintenance that I do to my hair, but it is thick and sometimes curly if I sleep on it. Can be quite frizzy if I don't look after it, but ultimately quite healthy. And I've never had particularly unhealthy hair, except when I was pre-turning 16, I had very long hair and it was unhealthy because I couldn't be bothered to take care of it because it was too long and it was tangled and it was a mess. Um, and I, I have try different things with my hair over the years but it kind of always comes back to this cut and i've referred to it as like my signature cut and Mm. at uni i know like friends at uni would refer to it as like kim hair like that's Mm. what they called like the style was kim hair in the you know kind of like i was the rachel um oh i had that cut yeah well mine's not dissimilar to that cut um and so i do i tie quite a lot of my identity up with my hair but I felt more beautiful to myself and more feminine and more attractive to other people and attractive to myself and more confident in myself when I cut my hair short for the first time interesting that is Um, really interesting and I I distinctly remember the you know my it was a long it sort of went from really long to sort of below just below mid back and then I got it cut sort of this length or just slightly mm. shorter than this length in sixth form. My mum was not happy about it going up to it. But then after I had it done, I was like, oh, actually, it makes <laughs> it makes a world of difference. Well like, done because you. you can because I can look after it. So it looks yeah. better because yeah. I can style it because I can look after yeah. it. And I distinctly remember that that was the moment I went to a party maybe two, three days afterwards and I was like, I'm happy to be in pictures. And mm-hmm. I had avoided pictures for a long time. I had avoided them because I had braces. I'd avoided them because I didn't think my hair looked nice. I, you know, I just, I thought I was awkward and clunky. And then I was like, no, I'm 
this is I'm in sixth form these are my friends I'm with my friends I feel good I look good I want to remember these memories I'm happy to be in pictures now and that was a real shift so it's interesting that you have the opposite feeling of that but yeah I think in terms of my identity my hair's it's not the only thing obviously and it's not even I don't even know if it's necessarily top five but it's certainly up there I've this book and this book really made me examine that I'm gonna pull out something you said actually which was about your mum um and there's a lot of essays in here that talk about the mother-daughter relationship either culturally like you were talking about sam um or uh in a critique well always a critique actually Mm. but um a critique because of culture or a critique uh because just judging Mm. um does anyone have anything to say about the kind of mother-daughter relationships i mean it was so on the nose like it was and I don't always think it's negative because I think that it's kind of like, it may be a critique, but it's, it wasn't sort of like, and my mother was a total bitch because of it. It was just kind of like, my mother always had something to say about my hair and my mum has always had something to say about my hair. Because uh, it came up so much in these yeah, essays. Yeah, there was one whole essay dedicated never, to it. I've never experienced that. Really? Ever. My mum has never criticised my hair. Apart, like, actually recently. <laughs> and not even criticised, I'd just gone... I had to cut off my hair. What do you think? And she's gone. I'm yeah. sorry, listeners. It was that kind that, of that patronizing, kind of patronizing smile, smile where you scrunch your shoulders. And that's up. because I asked her, and she's not a very good liar, so she might as well have just kind of. But she's never outwardly like or purposely criticized me for my hair, and I just thought it was really interesting that so many essays touched on that. I I it felt so true to life. My mum um, and my dad, like I, I mentioned earlier uh, too, but my dad's quite proud of his hair because he's the only one of his brothers that still has a full head of hair so i think for both of them hair's quite like a prideful thing but my mum has always been involved in mine and my sister's hair to the point that i think it was last mother's day not the one just gone but um last year my sister who had i mean the longest lovely beautiful long hippie locks uh cut her hair above the shoulder on Mother's Day, without warning my mum ahead of time, but why and my mum. No, no, no. But like, she showed up to Mother's Day, and my mum cried her eyes out, like was heartbroken why? Why? because she just was so in love with my sister's hair. And I think for my mum, for my mum, I you know, I think that it's partially that she she has done a lot to her hair over the years for the sake of fashion, to the point that it's very brittle. And so she doesn't want and her she can't the same she mistakes. can't grow her hair to the, that length and then also she grew up with dark hair um and my sister and I were both born blonde and my sister is still naturally blonde with no effort and I think that she was always very proud that her children had naturally blonde hair um because it was so unlikely and it was esteemed as beautiful especially um in her growing up in her life and so she was sorrowful when we got it cut no my mum has never really like alex's has never really got involved in my hair um she has she is one of those people who cuts her own hair and um see i think now more than when she was younger and sees haircuts as a way to manage what is very thick very wiry hair um like thicker than yours came in and much mm. bigger um 
I think <laughs> I think my brother once called it fat hair, and um, she did not like that phrase. Um, why ever not? Why the hell not? <laughs> and it's something that my sister inherited, and she, my mum had black curly hair mm. um and i always really wanted black hair and she got really cross with me because i wanted to dye my hair black and i was like well what hair what color it? is your hair naturally dark brown so well, like top top yeah layer but it used moment. to be kind of mid brown when i was a kid so i was like i want black hair no i, I want earrings no. well. <laughs> my goth stage i wanted but i just hair. really like i don't know i really liked black hair because it was just i mean it but wasn't even like a goth sleek, thing it, it was like, like sleek wasn't yeah. it mm. and my and brown hair you're like no one gives a fuck about brown do they brown's like uh, <laughs> great nothing wrong with brown hair color. naturally like now I well we all blonde. are naturally brunettes but yeah. um none of us Allegedly. have that hair color <laughs> i have no idea what i've actually looked like with natural yeah. hair but... <laughs> before we go too far off topic um how's everyone been finding the wine i'm not a fan farmy i really like it I'm uh, I'm having a great like, time. Considering Sam and I are both cider drinkers, and it is very cidery. It's scrumpy though. Yeah, that's very... it's quite. But scrumpy. I also drink cider, um, and it definitely is reminding me of. Uh, I was in France last summer drinking Breton cider, and this is very much that. Um, this is this is for me. This is drinking wine in the sun. Wine like it's hard to find a red wine that I enjoy drinking in a beer garden and I will sort of normally switch to rosé in the summer but this is a red wine that I would happily drink in a beer garden I which would, is I would, a bit funny because it's 33 pounds but still I yeah. would drink it playing dominoes in in France that's so very specific, very specific oh, but, but I like it I love dominoes they remind me of my granddad in France. um but like sitting outside and I I think dominoes is quite a like a thing that French people it's do quite a continental thing mm. um, do it a lot in Italy a tiny little tumbler of red wine whilst you play dominoes and eat cheese not that I, you know maybe vegan friendly cheese so we're going to take a short break now but when we come back we're going to talk a bit more about what we would have put in the book what we thought of the title and what we thought of the kind of perspectives from the women in the book so we'll see you in a minute So we're back and we have refreshed our glasses, mm-hmm. uh, continuing with the um, Rosa. To come back to the book and the hair is a discussion point. Um, when I first chose this book to talk about, I was obviously looking at it from the point of view of our podcast and the fact that we are a feminist podcast mm-hmm. and we like to talk about pop culture and feminism. And I think that hair is such a part of culture as this book kind of discusses even though maybe you didn't originally feel that way i think Mm. we're sort of unpacking that a little bit so i want to talk about how that relates to feminism how this book relates to feminism the two because i think this book the essays in this book make a really good um challenge to hair and the, the the decisions around hair the the sort of um narrative around women's hair and a challenge to traditional gender roles traditional gender structures Mm. so i did think it was a really interesting book from the perspective of feminism especially the essay that um alex you pulled out earlier much do about hairdos is very Mm. much a a manifesto of that Mm. to, to a degree what do you guys think about hair as a feminist issue so feminism is about uh equality and about choice this book dwells quite a lot i said dwells is maybe not the word but touches quite a lot on 
this idea of tradition within hair because it comes from a wide variety of cultures. There's um, Hasidic Jews, there's uh, Hindu Bengali uh, people, there's people from Sri Lanka, there's people from African American homes. Mm-hmm. It's kind of every, not not every, it's but there's, there's a very it, yeah, it's a very broad range of people from different cultures, and within those cultures, you have views about hair, covering hair, hair length, um, showing hair, body hair, all aspects of hair. So it's really hard to unpack that feminist angle because when different cultures' attitudes to hair are so different, Mm. you can't come in and be like, it's wrong to do this, it's Mm. wrong to shave off all your body hair below the waist, it's wrong to do whatever because you're given no choice because in that way you're saying that a culture is wrong. Mm. So... Mm. For me, there's no hard and fast answer to that feminism and hair thing because feminism is it's not a standalone thing. But the fact that in each culture there is an opinion about women's mm. hair, I think, is really telling. Mm. Yeah, like, true, true. For each essay, whether or not the what that hair should look like was the same, there were still rules in place specifically for women's hair. I, I yes i agree but that doesn't but i also think there are a lot of rules in place for men's hair um look at sikhism mm-hmm. look at um uh in i like think it was judaism like um orth- orthodox uh judaism yeah mm-hmm. um there's um is it the amish always have the men always mm-hmm. have beards um yeah. again i don't know much about the culture apologies if that was a generalization but from the representations i've seen that's an understanding mm-hmm. i have um there are, and also even in white Western culture, mm. men losing their hair, men going bald, isn't an aspirational thing. No, There's... and in fact, you talking about your dad being so proud that he's yeah, exactly hair. true. And actually, my dad as well. He went to a school reunion, and he was he, the first thing he said when he came back was, "I was the only one with all my hair." <laughs> well, exactly. So there's that. It's I don't think that hair is solely a feminist thing. I think hair is tied into culture for every gender but then you know obviously as we've talked about before feminism represents all genders but i i take your point yeah um one thing that i do think though and again this is this is not as is the caveat with everything we're not talking about all experiences because we Mm. can't because all Mm -hmm. experiences are different but it seems to me that um the rules and restrictions placed on women's hair in a variety of cultures is to do with their value mm. as almost a commodity or their sex appeal or their mm. um, purity purity whereas a man's hair and this is true in the christian tradition um is related to strength or godliness yeah like they mm. so not necessarily well, yeah. samson yeah. samson, like samson, samson four, comes up a lot essays yeah yeah and it's yeah. and pure like godliness i don't think is the same as purity so growing a beard or um growing your hair in some some traditions as a man is a representation of your devotion to god but you could do that and still be encouraged to be spreading your seed as it were um whereas no one wants seed spread in their hair no well apparently that's a good conditioner oh okay you're a bit crunchy well you wash it out but apparently it's quite a good conditioner. <laughs> okay, good. Like say. after, but it's good for your skin as well. There you go. Um, facial an, this guys, is. I was imagining pumpkin seeds. Then um, I just realised that you're talking about spunk. Willy We're seeds. talking about spunk, <laughs> and you know what? Willy seeds. 
<laughs> I'd like to just just state it's a fucking myth perpetuated by the patriarchy so that they can jizzle over us. Well, I'm just saying, I get ID'd all the time. So I think I I was saying, I think, I don't know. I got a little bit sidetracked by Sam's spunky face. Um, <laughs> that the the Great attitude to <laughs> the attitude to <laughs> men's hair and the rules surrounding men's hair is is different than the attitude surrounding women's hair. And a lot of women's hair is related to their value and their value as a commodity and their value as something to be owned and dictated by um a lot of the essays touched on this, dictated by a transition from single to wedded to widow. Mm-hmm. Um, that those were the key points in a woman's life where they were allowed, in air quotes or whatever, to change their hair in some drastic way, or encouraged or insisted insisted upon to um, change their hair in some drastic way. I can't remember which essay it was. I think that that's that's quite interesting because um, in I believe the Sikh tradition. You're just never supposed to shave your head as a man. You're not like, supposed to cut your hair. It's no. it's it's related to their godliness. It's not defined by whether they get married or they get divorced or someone dies or anything like that. It is purely related to like the autonomy of the person and their relationship with God. Yeah. Um, and their relationship with their own feelings towards God and how yeah. you know what they want to do. Whereas in each of these essays where it was discussed, and again, you know, we're not experts on this, but um it was it was related to an event that was tied to decisions outside of of the Their woman control. like it was marriage or um widowhood or anything it was defined for them and i thought that that was i i think that that's quite telling and i think that's why i consider this such a like while hair is important to all sexes and all um walks of life i think that it the relationship that women's hair has to the world is is significant mm. and is a feminist topic. Do you think, though, um, so we're talking about the importance of hair and it being in many ways a status symbol, whether that status is power or strength for men or um, femininity, femininity or purity for women or whatever. Um, how do you... Th- this is more of an anthropological question. God, that's what that word is hard to say. Anthropological question. Do you think this fascination with hair has grown out of the idea of the animal kingdom where a thick, healthy coat is a sign of uh, a specimen of the species that you should mate with? Do you think there's an element of that in it? I mean, maybe at a really, base really level. subprimal base level. And they talk in this book about a few times about this idea of seeing um, the seeing someone with dishevelled hair or mm. um, unkempt hair and you you don't that person doesn't have status in society mm. that person is someone to be pitied and i just think this idea of the 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 um the person whose hair is not in good condition being in some way lesser in society i think is quite a primal thing mm. and i know there's a lot more to it than that but i think fundamentally yeah that could be quite a big impact the interesting thing though or an interesting thing about that that i think is though that in the animal kingdom Generally, it's the male plumage, the male 
mane that is more interesting. I mean, birds, the, mm. the men all have, I mean, look at the peacock. peacocks. Um, and I was I, thinking of a lion. Lions. Lions, well, yeah, yeah. No, but it's true. That's like true. we often refer refer to, um, you know, women with beautiful glossy locks, you know, sort of Elwood style, it, bouffant hair as a mane of hair. Like you refer yeah. to it as your mane. Mm. Yeah. But a mane uh, generally is associated with male lion. Yeah. And um, you know, I can uh, give me half a second. I'm sure I can think of half a dozen animals. The the distinctive markings or distinctive plumage or distinctive colouring of their skin. That's um they have mandrills that males have the the blue and the red. Yeah. The Rafiki look. I'm fairly certain that um you know, we talked about fur in the glamour episode. I'm fairly certain that a lot of the fur animal you know, animals for which who are trapped for fur, like um rabbits or whatever, it's generally a male of the species that is preferred for various reasons. I don't 100% know because I'm not a furrier. I think but... <laughs> my, my feeling was that with, with furrier kind of behaviour was not that it was the colouring of the fur, but that because the males were generally bigger, they got more mm. fur for their money. Fair, mm. probably. That was what I took it to I believe. Think, I, I, think, I think luscious locks represent health. And yeah. if we really, really go down to, you know, like... Men preferring the hourglass shape because it represents someone that's, you know, going to do well in childbirth. Or is wealthy. Um, yeah. You know, exactly. So I think it probably stems from that. It's someone that's healthy, that's worth mating with because they're going to have healthy babies mm. and they're fertile. Mm. So really, it probably it's the same thing. stems from that. Basically, yeah. it all comes down to shagging. Yeah. Yes. It's fundamental level. Yeah. Yes. And yeah, I still think that certainly now... Actually... I was about to say that I still think that there's more emphasis on women's hair or has been throughout history. But I was just, as I was thinking that, I was looking sort of across my expanse of books and things and suddenly remembered um, all the 17th century wigs and men with their epic hair. Mm-hmm. And um, prior to that, you know, you've got Charles the first and or second, depending on who you you know like the most. With their uh, epic- Charlie too was the best. The wig thing is interesting, definitely. I, I, it hadn't really occurred to me at all in the entire time that I read this book, in the entire time I was thinking of this topic, I was thinking of... I was essentially most of the time thinking of those adverts of Pantene Pro-V with mm-hmm. the woman with the incredibly <gasps> with, impossible gorgeous With the hair. hair ninjas. Do you know about the hair ninjas? I remember the hair ninjas. Yes. God, that was so, weird. For anyone who may not know, um, a lot of shampoo adverts, hair care adverts are filmed on a green screen. There is someone for some brands and some campaigns whose job it is to dress up in a green morph suit so that they blend in with the background and stand behind the woman and toss her hair around <laughs> like it's just got this amazing life of Are its they own. Are actually called hair ninjas? I don't know. I don't think that's their job title, but it's oh, what I know them as. I low-key want that to be my job. Hair ninja. Because when you said hair ninja, I was like, what on earth are you talking about? <laughs> but I did actually know about yeah. them. But they use string as well, don't they? So weird. Yeah. See, no, I might have misremembered this because I thought of that, but I also am fairly sure that there was an advert for a shampoo that involved ninjas. Potentially. I don't remember that. And it was it was something, you know, it was one of those like badass. Yeah, like <laughs> super badass, or you're like, your hair's so Your hair's so slick. unbreakable. Your hair's so slick oh. that like nothing can touch it kind of thing. Oh, I, love, I love how there's <laughs> hair ninjas. Another way to make us feel inferior and that is our it real, real small green self. men? Look 
looking but at like, her. Like, our real self isn't good enough because no one's hair moves that way. No one has tiny ninjas to do it for them. <laughs> you know, Tiny ninjas! Um, no. I mean, Another way to make us feel shit about our real self. You would think- yeah, the way that we are made to feel about our hair and how shit it is, you know, it takes me back to the point that we were making just before about wigs and how historically, like, it was men who wore wigs and wigs was wigs were the way to do your hair because people didn't have good hair, they just wore wigs. And I think, and likes. Sam is nodding at me emphatically, we should talk about wigs for a bit. Because yes. wigs came up in this book. Wigs. And Sam is an advocate of wigs. Please. So, okay, as mentioned, I hate my hair. Hate is a strong word. I'm not, me and my hair are not on good terms. We are like um, relatives that have been separated through various family feuds and only see each other on social occasions and have to pretend to get on. That is my relationship with my hair. Except it's always there. Except it's always fucking there. But I have wigs and I like wigs because they are easy to change they don't take any toll on your hair um they, they're not all like frigging luminous green party wigs you can get some really nice ones and i think that wigs are much maligned as a fashion statement these days mm. and you know like who wants to have to go and get a haircut every day when you can just be like well not every day but like every six weeks or whatever when you'll be like hmm i can just pull this wig out or i can put this on i think they're great do you think it's the rise of drag that's made them slightly more, I suppose, acceptable is not the right word, but mainstream. I think it's not drag, um, although drag may have fed into this and I'm not entirely sure on the background. I think it's the rise of the alternative model because when you look at cosplayers, photo shoots, that kind of thing that have become big over the last 10 years, the availability of wigs and the way wigs are marketed are at that kind of person. They're not marketed for everyday wear and yet for a lot of women... 50 60 years ago and even old women now um although that may be because of thinning of the hair or whatever they're still a staple but mm. for women our age no one was ever like yes bish wear a wig you know mm. well, that was very drag but <laughs> i um i have counterpoint to that like not counterpoint to wigs wigs are great more wigs um i was listening to the show your work podcast um from laney gossip which is a gossip website mm. that i love and the show your work podcast is is a lot about not doesn't not dissimilar to some of the themes that we touch on um and they were talking about wigs and the fact that wigs are a very expensive Mm -hmm. um and b yeah. yeah and b in order to sort of for for an event for a long period of time if you care about it not coming off your head require quite a lot of work to put on and so they are a they are a luxury item and there's there's an element of privilege around wearing a wig yeah for for funsies not out of necessity um and also uh, in regards to the rise of the wig i agree that there's alternative models but i also think that there has been more transparency around the fact that younger celebrities put in and take out hair and sex hair extensions and wear wigs and weaves and such more and more and more i think it's become Mm. they've become more honest about it and i think that's partially down to instagram and the kind of the beauty blogger idea of um wanting to be available all the time and therefore if you're being available all the time you're available whilst you're getting ready and people are going to see that anyway so you get out in front of it yeah so i think that that's part of the rise 
of Wigs underappreciated accessory in my opinion well part of what the episode of show your work where they were talking about it was saying was can we make wigs more mainstream so that they good quality wigs are more affordable yeah so that they can be more mainstream like we need to someone needs to find a way to make wigs more affordable and proper wig maintenance more like people more aware of it in order to yeah, this idea of expense though, like human hair wigs, yes, they're they're shit. To, like you can pay thousands yeah. for a human hair wig. Um, good synthetic wigs, which I think are a few of the ones I have that you guys have seen, forty five quid. Mm. Briefly touching on festival or holiday hair, yeah, there are different rules. There are different rules to every day. Like Coachella, but that's like just Sorry. like that. Also, if anyone is going to Coachella, um, that's just Kim shouting. Coachella, Coachella. But for some reason, you just go. I'm festival. I will put my hair but in that's... weird little buns, in little plaits. I will braid my hair. I will oh, wear feathers. Butterfly clips. When I was ten, yeah. Or like yeah, hair yeah. mascara or something like that. Like what the fuck is that? Not his Glastonbury hair is like. I I look forward to seeing the pictures. She's got glorious. Hair she's as got well. amazing hair, but then she does Glastonbury hair because she makes it last for the entire of Glastonbury. Um, hi Lottie and she just it's absolutely glorious I I, I love it I, wow. I don't know how she does it but you're, you're right though about that that kind of cut off of the festival holiday thing and yeah. sorry guys we're completely off track from the book but there's but different rules there are different fine, rules but there's but this is and it's like fest uh, holiday fashion festival fashion you you are this weird version of you that you never are anywhere else anywhere else and that extends to hair it's not like yeah. It's my favourite version of myself though. Yeah, because you're a hippie. Yeah, but no but I wish I <laughs> I wish I had the courage to adopt it more in my everyday life because it is. Well my don't fav- you work in theatre? Yeah, I should. Yeah, you could probably you would fit right. You could you're you creative, would be, you're allowed. Right, you'd be the art teacher in thirty years. Oh no, not the baggy the baggy like, No, but you wouldn't you, you would define jeans. I love you a mum jean. I'm also about to buy some really like nice dungarees. <laughs> Hey, no, don't knock dungarees. Dungarees are excellent. Yeah, but they're like the fabric ones. Oh, uh, like cool. 40 dungarees. quid mm, that like yeah. everyone like... I feel like my case is being made. <laughs> Sorry. It's all right. I'm not buying the baby blue though because I'm worried I'll look like a toddler. My, my holiday hair though is not dissimilar to my regular hair except that I don't ever dry it with a hairdryer and I get like... I, I basically get a little bit curlier because it, it embraces all the salt and it gets blonder. See, Which my... is the only reason it's my favourite is because it does it. It does what I try to do. I tried to do it today and I put the wrong squeezy, squirty thing in because I was doing it in the dark. Um, Good context. Was it? Yes. It was not jizz. No. <laughs> it was. Good for your hair. It was supposed <laughs> to be serum and I put in argan oil instead. The horror. Um, the horror. But yeah, I I agree with you to an extent that like on holiday you are a different self, but I don't necessarily feel like I'm a different self. I just feel like by virtue of being slightly tanned and everything everything being slightly blonder, my messy hair suddenly becomes beach waves. Yeah. Oh, I love the beach I, waves. It looks entirely the same, Again, but I'm was, like but that was very much beach waves. Beach waves. Beach but that's beach what I please. miss about not having long hair, is I'm sad that I won't have beach yeah, waves. Yeah, but I still when have I was beach in... waves of short hair, babe. Yeah, exactly. When I was in Sri Lanka, the though, Spaniels. the fucking humidity, I just turned into, like, oh, yeah, a puffball. So a frizzball, uh, like, you If you look at my pictures, there are none of me with my hair down, because every time I take, like, Nicole would take hers down, and it was like, Nicole is a friend that I went with, 
thanks listeners, who um, <laughs> has has her hair professionally done and like she gets a perm every so often. But she, gets, she? Like, she gets like a loose perm, so I it's really way oh How much does it's that cost? Beautiful. Oh, maybe I that. Um, it has to be perm, I'm not sure. Okay. But she does that, and so it was just like this effortlessly sleek hair, and then I take mine down, and I looked like an aging porn star. It was not. It was not a good look. <laughs> Why were you at aging? Why? Can you because of the, the bush oh, okay. on my head. <laughs> We've gone off on a bit of a tangent <laughs> because we're talking about hair and suddenly we actually realise that we have a lot more to talk about. And um, eagle-eared listeners will notice that we're almost certainly on our second bottle by now. We are, in fact, on second bottle, which is... Um, Pitbull de Pinot. Pitbull de Pinot, Tesco Finest. It's a vegan white. It has really nothing to do with the topic except that it's Alex's favourite wine. It is my favourite wine. Uh, um, it's vegan and it's inoffensive and it was a reasonable amount of money. It's offensive because it's white, but it's fine. Um, right. So, uh, back to... We were talking before all of this and we talked a little bit about wigs, which I think was a great sort of sidebar, but we were talking about hair and feminism and how it relates to feminism. We were talking about, you know, the fact that the rules around women's hair specifically are related to their value and also their sexuality. And and Sam, you mentioned Lady Godiva, which is obviously, um, it's supposed to be about her purity and her nobleness, but is uh, kind of, titillating well yeah i was i was gonna say it's been sort of malformed into a sexual story Mm -hmm. um and and such and i think one of the essays talks about medusa and and rapunzel Rapunzel. but to get really on the nose about sort of the sexuality of women's hair there is an essay about pubic hair Mm -hmm. and i found it quite interesting I think I'm sure you guys did too. Yeah. I have feelings, thoughts about it <laughs> because I have feelings about uh, the, I, you know, the question of whether women should shave or trim or blah blah blah. Um, but I'm going to open the floor to I think Sam first because she uh, is poised with the book on her lap. I have quotes. <laughs> um, so the essay is called "And Be Sure to Tell Your Mother." <laughs> There is a relevance to that, which is explained in the story. Uh, and it's by um, Alex Kaczynski, I think is how you pronounce her name. Um, well best first name. Best first name. <laughs> Alex. <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> Great, thanks. <laughs> I didn't really have a response other than a noise. So, in this, she talks about very, she talks about the hair on her head, definitely. But she then um, goes on to talk about um, body hair and the traditions of body hair and her experiences with the removal or not of body hair um and there's a quote in it that really resonated with me which was um women celebrities talk about their pubic hair in an open and casual way and i'm still not used to hearing it now i'm someone who is very open in a lot of ways as you would have heard from my jizz face comment earlier um (laughs) however People talking about their pubes does make me really like it. It just sets me on edge for some reason. Does it? Yeah, I don't know. I did know. not know that about you. Yeah, I, didn't know that I, don't, you I just I can't have a frank discussion with another woman about pubic hair because it makes me really like I don't know. I I just don't know. There's something that upsets me about it. Really? Yeah. I heard, and it's not that I'm squeamish. It's just not like I leave I've... a full fucking bush down there. Like I I, I attend to it, but <laughs> good, I good. <laughs> it makes me feel weird. No, no, do what you want. I but, like good I to know. appreciate that it makes you feel weird because. I, I've noticed it, this with a lot of different women in my life. For all that we all have 
we try to be quite open and we are open and we we have feelings about you know we should be able to talk about this we should be able to mm. talk about that everyone has something that they don't want to talk about mm. um for you evidently Pubes. it's it's pubic hair um i my sister for example it's periods um for me it's i don't know most things um, <laughs> Poo. i'm very what's the word reserved is the nice way prudish? of putting it prudish is the other way of putting about it. anything bum Oh, especially bum oh, stuff. Gosh. Um, and Alex, I like. How do you feel about talking about it? Because I'm, I'm feeling from stories that you've told us recently. <laughs> I'm. You're not that fast. Actually, do you know? I'll tell hair. you exactly the reason why I have a problem with talking about pubic hair. It's because um, uh, a while ago, a while ago, like back in day, back in day, in my early years, um, I was sleeping with somebody, and they told me I should shave more. <gasps> No, what they did you not. Were, what you were doing the deed, or just in casual in, in chat. casual conversation? And after that, I've oh. been I've been weirdly like, that's no, but that's so interesting. I oh, did tell me to shave that. I, <laughs> Bum. I have a slight like concern, and I sometimes I, I just don't matter. It doesn't matter, but like I've of all the hairs on my body. Hmm. The area that I think that I'm most self-conscious about, aside from, you know, like chin hairs, is... Um, pluck those fuckers. Pluck the fuckers! <laughs> yeah. Uh, is... Oh, God. My voice is so annoying. Um, is my underarm hair. And okay. that is because... Um, dear friend of mine, who certainly does not remember this, and if he does, you know, feel bad about yourself, is that one time I came out of my flat at uni... I and I lived story, and I was like, "Wow, Kim, I did not know this." Like, I I lifted my arms. I, I, it had been like two, three days or something, like of growth. It wasn't a yeah. lot, but yeah. I have naturally dark hair, certainly in mm-hmm. in regions that aren't on my head. And um, don't pay someone to lighten. Yes. He went, he went ew. Like he pointed it and went ew, and I was like, "I'm sorry, but first of all, your arm, you're fucking nineteen, eighteen, grow up." And but I and I said I remember being like you can't tell me what to like don't tell me what to do and we were in the we were in the stages of repairing friendship after an argument at this point as well so he was already not in my best books. Um, They're nice, my friend. They're nice. But it really it really stuck with me, and it's really stuck with me every every so often when I'm like I just catch myself unawares. I'm like that's the reason why I feel gross today, mm. which is. That's but sad. sometimes I don't care. Like a lot of the time I don't think about it, but when I realise that I have felt undone throughout a day and i'm like yeah. no but my hair's fine i'm like what's wrong and i'm like oh i wish i changed my house yeah really yeah like, it's I really don't even, like i have to rem- so i go to the gym a lot i have to remind myself to shave my underarms because i literally do not That's notice weird. it but you are are you naturally fair else? your body yeah. hair is fair. yeah my yeah. body hair is really fair so um and Whereas actually if i didn't go to the gym yeah, if i didn't go to the gym i would probably not even bother to shave it because mine is fair. mine is dark you? and it yeah. and i think my underarms are one of the areas where i do it for myself and how i feel and i did i did before this comment was made prefer to keep things that way and that was not really why you were more self-conscious that was not related to what anyone else said and certainly every other area of my body 
the way that I manage it is is how I feel, not about how I f- how attractive I think it is to other people. Mm. But that is the one area where I am more conscious of how it looks to other people. Very briefly, talking about leg hairs and conforming so much that it's painful, which the book does mm. touch on a yeah. little bit. Yeah, there's a lot of that. I had a friend who had such thick hair and she felt that uh, shaving her legs was conforming. Uh, she shaved them so much that every time they grew back, they bled <gasps> because the hair was so thick. I have thick. never heard of yeah, that. Yeah, and she continued to shave her legs because she was like, it's a cycle, it's a cycle, That's what awful. can I do? Um, and so that kind of made me think of the essays as well in a more extreme fashion, but um, just how awful that was, that mm-hmm. she thought, I, I need to shave my legs to fit in. I feel that way, like, that's a similar problem that I have with, with the various hairs on my face that I pluck, oh, which I is people go, you're not supposed to pluck them, they'll come back thicker, and I'm like, but they're there now! Like, they're already yeah, there. I do not pluck my moustache. I just, it, it I naturally, mine. Like, oh, I mine naturally items, but my mum dyes hers. Oh, um, nice. And I've I've worried about it before, and in pictures, and in pictures with you, been like, oh, my moustache is really obvious. No, but no, specifically, no, specifically, I have I have certain hairs on my face that I pluck. But I like here because I have them. here chin hair and throat as well. Oh, I have one really long black one that comes out like here. Yeah, that's super gross. Why? But I have one small comfort about my weird chin hairs, which is that I have a mole on my chin. You do, yes. Which um causes some people concerns because I have a lot of moles, and um, it doesn't change. It's fine. People go. Oh, it's really worrying and i <laughs> asked i asked my doctor because i had a mole removed many years ago and i asked my doctor at the time what about this one on my face because certain people have a real like bugbear about it and i and she was like this isn't the nicest thing to say but moles that have hairs growing out of them are generally fine uh, and i was like that's such oh, a that's weird interesting. like backwards positive thing <laughs> You just oh, said. I mean, would she li- would, had you not even referenced that it had a hair? I hadn't referenced the hair. <gasps> oh, that's such a horrible. And like, she no, but she like compliment. she like we were we were alone in a room and she dropped her voice and everything and I was like, I know that it's got hair in it. I'm fine with that. But then I, I use it. that. I use that when whenever I'm like doing something about it. I'm like, I feel good about this hair. Now go. I'm no dermatologist, <laughs> dermatologist, but I imagine if a mole is healthy that. It will, the follicle is able to push yeah. its way through, whereas if you have something that is potentially growing or, or obstructing things, then yeah, you can't. Yeah, yeah. It's a really, yeah. Yeah. it was a really interesting thing, anyway. Yeah. Um, so we've we've we've, we've completely started. we've gone again. We've gone to moles. We've gone to um, pubic hair. We've, we've, we've gone to other than hair. To hair because this yeah. is a very this our, our first assumption. And again, going back to our first impressions, was that this book would be about head hair. Head hair. Not body hair, but body hair is such a big part of femininity, being a feminist. There's so many discussions about it now mm. um, that it has to be included as part of the conversation, I think. Yeah. So just to wrap up, um, none of us are down with a completely naked vagina. No, no it's no. ridiculous. No. It's childlike and like, and, why would And you if you're listening it? and you're a person, man or woman, who has a problem with a little bit of hair there, um, grow up. Yeah. But alternatively, <laughs> if you are a woman who chooses to have an entirely naked vagina because you feel best in it, that's your choice. Yeah. But know that we personally 
It's not for us. It's yeah. not for us. And I'd also like to know why. So please comment on our social media. Yeah, no media. idea. Genuinely, I'd be why. Is it empowering? Is it a sensation thing? Because some people do say that, that a, a, a shaved vagina increases sensation during sex. However... But most people say that hair increases vagina. Exactly. Uh, vagina. <laughs> well, <laughs> that, yeah, hair today on the weather forecast, there is increased hair with chances of vaginas. Yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> I and this I is a mean, yeah. thing. It's hmm. each of their own. I personally like a relatively short hairstyle and a trimmed down there. So to move on from that, um, we've all read varying degrees of the book. I'm speaking mainly about myself there. Yeah, bringing it um, back to the book. To the book, which again is Me, My Hair and I by Elizabeth Benedict. Um, did you think when you were reading the book that there was anything missing? Did you think there was a hair point of view missing? Uh, and if there was, what would you like to see? What would you like to hear? I felt whilst reading it, and I'm, I don't think this is 100% accurate because I certainly, you know, I read it quite quickly and I didn't get it all, but I felt that most of the women in the essays were older. Yes. writing from their older perspectives maybe mm. of their younger selves but older perspectives there were quite a lot of women with dark hair writing from a dark haired perspective and i and they were mostly american if not all american writing about america i think there was one about london or people who had moved to so, yeah there was yeah. one that was english that had moved to america and i i all of that is not my lived experience i would have been interested obviously to have different ages included because i think that they did an excellent job of um elizabeth bendict did an excellent job of choosing women or approaching women from different ethnicities um and who obviously have different cultural experiences of hair i think the different ages would have been the next logical step I also think um, the front cover has a an image of a very pale person with red hair, and I certainly don't remember that essay. But um, there was one who had auburn hair. Auburn, auburn is oh, auburn no, is no, 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 that's the point. No, she did have. I'm sure there, there was, was someone who dyed their hair ginger. Yeah, because I would have been interested in a ginger perspective. Yeah, I myself am not ginger, but. Um, my family have a lot of red in them and it's blood it's called it's blood it's blood <laughs> uh no we're all super pale um and my my brother-in-law is is what someone would call a carrot top so i am aware of that and especially i think i know this sounds silly but given the pop culture phenomenon that was um gingers don't have souls i think that that might have been quite an interesting essay mm, yeah i i agree I um but yeah more I think that it was quite, while it was, had obviously made an effort to be intersectional, the collection was quite New York, quite liter- like literary women. And I know that it's a collection of essays, but it was, it was a particular subculture of a particular area of America that most people aren't aware of and I felt slightly akin to it only because I l- listen to and read a lot of literary blogs and stuff that fall into this sort of subculture but I think that even I found it slightly inaccessible for that reason. It was very much um, 
educated um, feminist women, scholars, writers, poets, people from literary backgrounds living on the east coast of America, whether they were born there or moved there. And even in the effort to be intersectional, there was, yes, there was that aspect of, um, what's the word? Not left wing. Um, Liberal? Yeah, it was a liberal collection of essays. And I think it would have been interesting to hear from someone who was not so much that way. Mm. but maybe I missed an essay because like I said I didn't read them all I read them all and I, I I, certainly maybe I didn't read them all as closely as I could have and maybe on a second um, I think this is the kind of book that would benefit from dipping in and out of it mm. and a second read and maybe even a third read mm. um, but I first impressions as it were you know first read through the the feeling that I kept getting was these women are all in their 60s, 70s, they all had children, I'm pretty sure. Or at least... Or of the age that they would have had a family. They had a couple of marriages and stuff like that. And it was all just, you know, like, I would have appreciated just... Were there any queer women in it? No. Yes. No. No, I'm sure there was one. I don't remember there being. I feel like I do, or I feel like I remember there being at least queer... there was a mention of a wife. Queer experiences, if not queer... Or I hadn't, I hadn't like self-identifying queer women, but I don't remember. What I do remember is, yeah, like I say, it, I think the age is the most stark thing for me. I I think when you're writing or editing a selection of essays, you're going to seek out the people that uh, represent you or are a part of your world, and the writer is definitely kind of of that, or the editor is definitely of that age. Um, I think in a break someone said, oh, they asked a collection of their friends to write yeah. some essays. Mm-hmm. And maybe that is the case in uh, this. But I don't think that's what you should um, do. No, 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 not at all. Um, but I also think that um, she is using hair almost as a metaphor for tell me your life story. Mm. And so therefore people of an older generation have more to tell and more of a journey to tell. And so therefore, you know, older women would would talk about that it it might make it slightly more unrelatable to us in terms of the modern day references to hairstyles um i think that's probably why she chose women of a certain age um i also picking up on something i think um i can't remember was it sam or kim was saying um you know very uh well-educated women that are talking about these like sam saying well-educated women that were talking about their experiences and they're usually writers or whatever it might have been really interesting to have some kind of typed verbatim uh talks from women on the street Mm. just talking about their hair Mm -hmm. well yeah what you were saying just then about um the Older women are more likely to have more life experience. I don't necessarily think that that's true. And I was but, thinking... But mathematically... Mathematically, yeah, yes. Yeah. But I, I, I was thinking that, you know, a different perspective then would have been... I think that there are young women and young, you know, younger women that I would have loved to hear from that have maybe not as much experience, but different experiences... I think a perspective from a child or a young teen or something yeah. written 
you know, me being an interview or something would have been very different and as important, especially in this day and age, growing up in this sort of global, everything's always available thing. I also would have loved to read. Um, there was the article, there was the essay from the woman who was born in prison, who had her struggles with her adoption. Yeah, 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 yeah. I would have loved to read about a prisoner's struggle with her because I can imagine that that I recently read a collection of poetry written in prison and one of the poems I remember was about um the cost of things in prison because obviously people in prison have to pay for certain luxuries and you you, yeah you choose between buying certain food luxuries well, or whatever. Even in buying a razor. And even in Orange well, is the New Black, yeah. um, they have a makeshift hair salon. Yeah, yeah which but, is run by... And it's, yeah, and it, um, but no, obviously, Bennett. they're not supposed to have razors because they are weapons. So how do you cut your hair in prison? And um, and things like this. And I, I think that, that that essay alone, an essay about hair in prison, would have been just enough to solidify this as a really diverse mm. selection of essays because it was close but not quite there yeah mm. i agree so interjected with more like verbatim stories of pe- everyday women on the street but also women Just, that are in different circumstances yeah, people, branching yeah. out from a branching out from a safer it started it was women who women. started from very very different backgrounds mm-hmm. it wasn't women who ended up in different backgrounds mm. And it would have been nice, to, yes, to hear from people who, at the time of writing, lived different lives, like you say, prison, um, poverty, um, uh, not having to worry about any kind of money at all, not like the, the complete spectrum. A celebrity, um, a true celebrity essay would have been interesting as well. Celebrity essay, yes. So there are many more voices you could hear from on this topic. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Topic. Well, true. And the I, fact that we spoke about it tonight. Like, yeah. I'd love to hear more people's stories yeah. about their hair and how it's related to their life. And if you do have a particular opinion on uh, hair or what part it plays in feminism, society, or even just being a person, uh, you can get in touch with us on Instagram, where we are at Great Culture Podcast. We are on Twitter at Great Culture Pod, or you can head to our website and get in touch with us via the form on there. And the website is www.greatculturepodcast.co.uk. And just to interject there, um, on Instagram especially, if you want to tag us in some pictures mm. on your stories of hair styles, I have a sneaking suspicion if I can convince Sam and Alex to do it, absolutely I'll, not. Might share a couple of um, couple of snaps from hairstyles that we've talked about on this episode, do you know or what? not? I was just about to say, if you want to share any stories about hair that's not on your head then get in touch but then as soon as you went into Instagram I was like okay maybe not no. but I for one would love to hear about your um your bad or good hair stories yeah. I might share some of mine because I have no shame and I've had some wacky hairdies um I cut my own fringe off when I was 12 I'm not sharing that I my sister cut my hair when I was oh there are pictures my okay. sister cut my hair when I was 14 and I went to a football match of our male friends at the time and my great love at the time um, when came up and introduced himself to me again and went, hi, I don't actually think we've met. And I was like, it's me, you dingbat. And I think I was dingbat. I, know, I, don't, I didn't say dingbat. 
Um, what did you actually say? Was it cooler? Cunt nugget. No, no, it certainly was not cooler. I wasn't. Dick cool. splash. I was. Twat. I think it might have been twat. I oh, think okay, it might have been twat. slightly cooler. And he was like, oh my god, what have you done to your hair? Mm. And I shouldn't know then, really, that he was a cunt, but there you go. So I think that brings us to the end of today's episode. Uh, but before we say goodbye, we have to do our traditional grape culture thing of rating both the wine and the book we have chosen. So let's start with the wine, which was the... Kimberly? Um, fuck. Uh, fuck. <laughs> oh, yeah, the Rosa Mixtura from the Luhe or Dluhe Grefti Vineyard in uh, the Czech Republic. This is the mostly untampered, naturally fermenting uh, red wine that we bought that was kind of cloudy. I was not a fan. Um, I felt if I wanted cloudy booze, I would have scrumpy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was very similar to that. The biodiverse wine has always left a slightly peculiar taste on my palate anyway. And we it was said in the tasting notes it was a peculiar wine. Mm-hmm. Um, I am out of five grapes. I'm going to give it a two. Interesting. What about you, Alex? Um, I feel exactly the same as Sam. Like, I love a cider but it tasted more scrumpy than I would ever usually get in a cider. Um, it was farmy. It was a bit Plus hammy. It was wine. Not that I've ever eaten ham anyway. There was a reasonable degree um, of ham, yes. Yeah, um, I'm going to give it two as well. I'm a bit disappointed because I actually really liked it. I definitely think that it tasted more like cider than wine, but I really liked it. And I'm not just saying this because I feel a bit bad that... You spent 34 quid. I spent 34 I am really glad I tried it and I thought it was a really interesting, really interesting wine. I didn't get the cranberry juice. I got the grapefruit a little bit, but I didn't get the cranberry juice tasting mm-hmm. notes that the Guy Wolf wine gave me. I would give it probably a three. It's not something that I'm likely to buy again, but I didn't hate it. I really enjoyed it. I drank it quite quickly. And if it were £10 cheaper, I'd buy it of a, of a summer afternoon, Sounds I think. Nice. Even if it was £20 cheaper. (laughs) And what about the book, which is Me, My Hair and I, 27 Women Untangle an Obsession, edited by Elizabeth Benedict, published in 2015. What do we think about that? I'll start. Mm -hmm. I chose it. Mm -hmm. I inflicted it on everyone, as Mm -hmm. as always with all the topics. Um, I really enjoyed reading it, and I read it really, really quickly. Um, I just felt that it was limited yes and so on my goodreads i i gave it three mm. and i rem- i finished reading it on the bus and i thought oh, i can leave it like a 3.5 and then i was like no i don't feel as good about it for a 3.5 i think that it is worth reading and um did a really good job of being intersectional did a really good job of uh, acknowledging other perspectives and addressing feminism and addressing different cultures and sexuality but it was it was limited i felt really strongly that it was limited by age and i couldn't get past that especially since the women on the cover are all young mm-hmm. um so I stand by it and I will give it a firm three grapes. A firm. Firm three grapes. Firm three. Which is another bad, not good. Alexander. <laughs> um, 
don't know. I don't really have any strong feelings about this book. I, th- I think it was a nice selection. I, when Kim first said about what the subject matter was, I was like, oh, interesting. I don't really have any strong feelings about her. Then as it unraveled, mm-hmm. um, and reading these essays, I realised I did have, you know, uh, strong connections to hairstyles and things like that in my life. Um, and that's because of these essays that I felt that way. Um, and I really enjoyed reading them, but I wouldn't pick it up again. Mm. Okay. Um, so I think 2.5 is too harsh. I think 3 is fair, um, but it's it hasn't enlightened my life. It's a low 3. But great. Yeah, low 3. <laughs> a low toot, as they would say, <laughs> on Drag Race. Um, okay, so for me, I... As divulged earlier, I did not finish this book. Not because of any fault of the book, just because of my own inadequacy. No, Uh, your own very busy schedule. I'm so fucking busy and important. Fucking person. Yes. Um, So I read about half of it. Um, I think it was an interesting, like a really um, enlightening way to look at feminism and to look at culture that, to be honest, I... I myself wouldn't have thought of so but it's not a book that I would necessarily reread uh, it's it introduced me to some points I hadn't considered and it it was well written so I'm gonna give it I'll give it a three I think a three all round seems solid. like yeah, it's, solid. A, it's a really solid kind of I feel like a starter text mm. You know, a, commu- a commuter book. Yeah, a like commuter book. Because I, I appreciate what you both said that you both thought. Oh, I don't really think much of this topic, and then you read this book and it made you think more. Hmm. And whereas I had al- already thought quite a lot about this topic because I think quite a lot about everything, and because um, I'm a neurotic mess, and <laughs> and so I, I'd already obsessed over this a lot, and this gave me different perspectives. So I think a three all round. It's a really good place to start with something that some people might think up is trivial or some people might want to know more about i agree cool with that in mind if you have been listening to this week's episode and you are on itunes please do give us a rating uh whatever you think we deserve out of five and maybe write us a review because you know we're needy people and we like to hear your praise um, love me love me but whatever you think we deserve please give us that it does help us If you are on any other platform, and even still on iTunes, please don't forget to come back in two weeks' time where we will be talking about weddings and wedding guest etiquette as a feminist. Uh, So that's going to be a very appropriate seasonal choice, I think. So come back, see what we're talking about then. You can find us again on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify and Podbean. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye!